Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing our top five comfort media picks. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Kat. Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good. I am feeling relaxed and embracing the mood of this episode. Oh, good. I hope so. Yeah. I had some technical difficulties, so I'm trying not to be thrown. (laughs) We're good. We can hear you. You don't sound like an alien. So maybe the aliens were just trying to hijack the pod and send their communications. On my list of talking points, aliens question mark has been at the top of the (laughs) list for like three or four weeks now. Okay. And we haven't talked about it. Okay. What about aliens? Just that they're constantly in the news. And so I was like, what does Kat think about this? I feel like she has like a lot of alien-centric media Mm -hmm. tastes. There's been so much discussion with UFOs Mm -hmm. and just all the shit that I haven't had the time to (laughs) actually dive into. Mm -hmm. But there's just been so much alien talk. And I just want to get your like snap judgment on it. Oh, man. Like, how much have you been following it? Zero percent. Yeah. I think I saw some memes about, like, the balloons and everything. But, Mm -hmm. and, like, the aliens watching the Super Bowl. Those were kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was all, like, happening right around the Super Bowl. And they were like, oh, the aliens just want to come watch um, uh, Rihanna do the Super Bowl. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get, like, secondhand reports from Will, because I feel Mm -hmm. like he can, like, synthesize all of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I'm just getting a lot of confusing information. And I'm always like, you're sure this isn't the balloons? And he's like, people are saying it's different from the balloons. (laughs) Oh, I gotta do a Google search after this. I have not been following it at all. Oh, yeah. To be fair, I don't follow the news very much anymore, because it... Mm -hmm makes me depressy so yeah understandable (laughs) yeah well i'll let you know if anything looks (laughs) (laughs) looks exciting out there looks exciting i don't know i think i'd be excited oh as long as bill pullman's around i think i'll feel okay yeah he's got experience (laughs) (laughs) you know what Hmm. i think this is the last podcast recording that we will do that will come out before the Oscars this year. Oh, really? So this might be a good time for me to tell you who I think should win the Oscars. Yes, please. <laughs> because otherwise it'll look like <laughs> I'm retroactively cherry-picking. Okay. And this will be like an actual, yeah. I don't know who will win. When does the Oscars happen? I think they happen March 13th. Okay. I got to make sure this up gets out before March 13th. Yeah. It should. Because we usually have a two-week lead time. Yeah. We typically come out on Fridays. The Oscars should be a Sunday. Okay, yeah. So this one will come out March 10th. Okay, they'll be on March 12th. Yes. Okay, perfect. Sunday, March 12th. Then, yeah, because I've been thinking about how I wanted to do this. Because mm-hmm. I thought it would be a fun activity. And there's, like, a huge difference between... Oscar predictions and like Oscar who I think I who I think should win like who I want to win Mm -hmm. so picks and predictions are two very different things Mm -hmm. so I think I just want to give you my picks of who I would choose out of the nominees rather than trying to predict it because that is like a futile yeah exercise is predicting what the voting body will do at the Oscars (laughs) because sometimes it's just fucking insane who votes at the Oscars? I don't know anything about this. Oh, uh, whoever's in the Academy. That's okay. why it's called the Academy Awards. And yeah, got the it. The process of being inducted into the Academy, I do not know or understand. Got it. All I know is that I think they've been trying to expand the Academy, which is good. So it's not just like the same like old 200 people. But mm-hmm. let me share this PDF with you if I can. Oh, I'm not allowed. You've been doing your prep. Oh, big time. (laughs) 
You just wait for my new Bond pitch. I have the whole PowerPoint I'm so slides excited. and animations. I'm so excited. <laughs> You're going to love it. You know what? We could maybe, like, do a recording, like a screen recording of the presentation and have our voices <laughs> and, like, put it on YouTube or something. Put it on our Friend Diagram oh, YouTube I mean, account. Do we have one on YouTube? Technically, yes, because we have a Google for the Friend Diagram podcast. Ah, why, um, why not? Yeah, could be fun. But we could and do, like, we- a special presentation where we like feature presentation (laughs) okay i'm ready i'm ready for this okay let me tell you just to reiterate out of the nominations Mm -hmm. this is who i think should win not who i think is going to win because who the fuck knows what that's gonna be Mm -hmm. so oh and also i haven't seen 100 percent of the films that this ballot covers Mm -hmm. so i'm going off of what i've seen So I'll try to go through quick, and I won't cover all of them, but here's the ones I'm interested in. Actor in a leading role. I would like it to be Colin Farrell for Banshees. I think he did a great job, but I would not be mad at all if it was Brendan Fraser. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen The Whale, but I hear he's lovely in it. And Paul Meskel for After Sun. I'm sure he's great in that, too. I'd really like to see After Sun. I simply haven't seen it. So that's why I chose Colin there. (laughs) But I wouldn't be mad at any of those three. Oh, uh, man. The whale trailer made me feel emotional. And yeah, if that's how that whole movie is, it's, mm-hmm. oh, that's going to be a rough watch for me. Yeah. they. Both it looks look- fantastic, though. Oh, sure. But also very sad. Uh, but also, I really want to see Living. Yeah, I do love Bill Nighy, like, just as a human. He's has some of the best dad energy ever put to film. Uh, so I'm sure he's grand as well. Okay. Actor in a supporting role. I have two people marked here because I couldn't decide. Barry Keoghan, obviously, was my MVP of Banshees, mm-hmm. so I would be very excited for him to win. But Kihoi Kwan for Everything Everywhere, he would be awesome as well. Mm-hmm. He won the Golden Globe for this category, so oh. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins here too. Mm-hmm. I would be elated for either of them. Brian Tyree Henry, I really like him, but I haven't seen Causeway, so I would not be mad if he won, too, because I do think he's a good actor. Mm -hmm. Actress in a leading role. This is an interesting race, because the very clear favorite is Kate Blanchett for Mm -hmm. Tar, and I will be really surprised if she doesn't win, but I'm selecting Michelle Yeoh as my pick, because... Her performance was extremely varied in Everything Everywhere all at once. She had to be so many different versions of her character. Mm -hmm. And I just think that could possibly be a lot more demanding than Mm -hmm. doing one character super, super well. So I'm going to go with Michelle on that one. No offense to Kate. She did great, too. Everyone did great. (laughs) Good job, everybody. Um, Good job, everybody. Actress in a supporting role. I'm going Carrie Condon, also in Banshees. Yeah. You can tell I really liked all the <laughs> acting in Banshees. She fucking ruled. She was really good in that film. And I think about her performance a lot, um, which is just an A-plus thing for me. She was the sister, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. Cinematography. I haven't seen all these films I'm going to go with Tar, though, because, uh, God, it looked fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Incredible shot composition. Just impeccable looking. Love that. Hope, hope they win. Costume design. I don't feel very strongly about this, so I'm just going to say Babylon, because I, I feel can like see it. Babylon it got maybe not a lot of nominations that are not a proportionate number of nominations to the scale of the effort that went into Mm -hmm. that project. So I have a soft spot for Babylon. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. How do I want to go through this? So, yeah. Then I will also say I think Babylon should win for production design as well Mm -hmm. because I think it's the best out of those. (laughs) And it was just the scale of that production and the fact that it was not 100% CGI. Mm-hmm. 
I think it deserves the best production design. That's yeah, all I'm going to say. For sure. <laughs> and for sound, I think it should be the Batman. Mm-hmm. The Batman sounded amazing. Had really interesting sound mixing. And is also not super represented in terms of nominations. Mm-hmm. So I think they should get sound. Visual effects. This is an interesting category because obviously there's a lot of CGI um, heavy films, but I'm going to zag on that one. I'm going <laughs> to say it should go to Top Gun Maverick, which was a film that really prided itself on the practical effects mm-hmm. and then just kind of accentuated those really challenging practical effects with some, you know, enhanced visual effects. And I think that's the way you should always do it. So... I think they should win, even though they didn't have, like, a ton of a fancy CGI. I think because they went practical and supplemented mm-hmm. in post, they should win. So, I'm going Top Gun Maverick for visual effects. And, oh man, for writing in an adapted screenplay, I'm going to go Women Talking, because I don't feel that strongly about the other screenplays in that category. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the awards, I either didn't mark because I didn't feel strongly about, or the the biggest awards, and I have a specific um, breakdown for how I think I would want them to go Mm -hmm. if I were selecting. So the remaining categories are Best Directing, Best Film Editing, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And so... The three films that were, like, super represented in these categories were Tar, Banshees, and Everything Everywhere. And I think the way I would like it to go is that Everything Everywhere should get best editing. I think that's, like, without doubt. That editing was incredible. They had such an undertaking with that Mm -hmm. that I think, um, yeah, I, I would be surprised if someone else won for editing. I also think Everything Everywhere should win Best Original Screenplay because, man, it was really original. (laughs) Which pains me because Banshees was also an excellent screenplay, especially because, you know, in the dedicated episode, I talked about how much I loved Martin McDonough's Mm -hmm. dialogue that he wrote for that film. Mm -hmm. So I would be elated if Banshees won for Original Screenplay, but I think, you know, either of those two would be awesome. In terms of best directing, I think Todd Field should win for Tar because his viewpoint as a director in that film was so consistent and incredible. And as an entire project, it was amazing. So Mm -hmm. I think he deserves best director. But I think overall best picture... I think should go to one of those three. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking a lot about who I would choose. And this is how I broke it down in my head. I really liked everything everywhere all at once. But when that film was over, I didn't have a lot of lingering questions Mm -hmm. or thoughts about it, even though it was very emotionally impactful and very, very original. I didn't like turn it over in my mind for Mm -hmm. weeks after. And you know, that's the mark of a great film for me. Mm -hmm. So that means it was down to Tar and Banshees, which I did think about a lot afterwards about both of those. And I think between those two, my best picture pick would be Banshees of Inisherin because I thought about it a lot. I rewatched it readily. I thought about it even more and (laughs) I'm still thinking about it now. And I just enjoyed the watch a lot more, even Mm -hmm. though I think they're both incredibly well-made and deserving films. Mm -hmm. So I'm going Banshees on that one. So that's my ballot. I love that. I see that we can share our ballot. So you should send me this and we should put it on the the Twitter or Instagram. I think that'd be fun. All right. To promote your Letterboxd. You can follow me, Remy Friend, on Letterboxd. (laughs) I was telling Will that I was on Letterboxd and was, like, explaining it to him because Mm -hmm. he watches, like, a wide range of films and is always looking for ones he hasn't seen. Mm -hmm. And so I was showing him how he could use it as, like, a, you know, 
candidate generator Mm -hmm. for new films. And so he joined and immediately, like, declined to follow me. He's not interested. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) So rude. So rude. It, like, didn't even... It was never a never a possibility. Oh <laughs> I just God. immediately shot down. <laughs> He's not interested in what I'm watching. <laughs> savage. So savage. Um, our topic for the day is our top five comfort media picks. So like movies that you come to or books that you come back to when you might be having a stressful week and just need to decompress and unwind or just like the things you want to consume when you are like in a relaxed state. Oh, that's how you did this? Well, kind Uh-oh. of. <laughs> what? What was your I definition? I did it a different way. My definition of comfort media is like, I'm in distress. I need to be comforted. Yeah. This is what sure. I'm putting on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also think about it in the, a similar way. It kind of just depends on the state that I'm in, but. I come to these media when I'm like in a normal relaxed state or if I'm like needing to be relaxed. But I was talking with Scott earlier today about like my list and how I was supposed to narrow things down because I'm a big like cozy media person. Yeah, this is way more your lane rather than mine. And I was like, oh man, like something that is like so nostalgic for pretty much like so many people in our generation is Harry Potter. And that's one thing that I like come back to all the time as like a comfort media thing. Cause you haven't watched any of them. Have you? No, I've seen some. I've oh, seen, okay. I would say I thought you hadn't half, seen any of them. I haven't read any of the books. Oh, okay. But I've seen I see. maybe like 50% of the films. Okay. I went to a midnight showing of the final one. I think I went to a midnight showing of the sixth one. Hmm. I went to the final one. It was when I was in college mm-hmm. and I was home for the summer and all of my friends were like big HP fans mm-hmm. from the beginning since we were kids when it first, when the books first started coming out. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to go with them to the, you know, premiere, mm-hmm. not the premiere, but the, the midnight showing. Yeah, the opening. <laughs> the opening. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know the story. Like, I had probably seen a handful mm-hmm. of the available movies, but I was like, I don't know the whole picture. Will it be worth it? Mm-hmm. And my friend that I was working a summer job with at the time, we were both working at a factory together. Oh, yeah. And so she and I, we got assigned lines next to each other on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Because we were in the same department, and over the course of, like, two shifts, she gave me the oral history of all of Harry Potter so that I could be all caught up (laughs) for the movie. I can't believe. That's that's how I've I've accrued (laughs) information about HP. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, for sure, like, movies, probably one through four, are, like, comfort movies for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I probably watch them passively like at least Mm -hmm. three or four times a year i feel like i've seen like 60 percent of the triwizard tournament one like a hundred times like for some reason that was always on television oh yeah for sure (laughs) when i think comfort media that's like one thing that i think of and it's on my honorable mentions but yeah because i just felt like it's just like so such well-trodden territory that i didn't want to chat like, too in-depth about it. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of, like, well-trodden territory in my HMs mm-hmm. and put some newer stuff on my top five. Yeah, I guess I should clarify. When I said this is much more your lane than mine, what I meant was that you're much more of a re-watcher, mm-hmm. re-reader, like, revisitor than mm-hmm. I am, and I'm more of a novelty seeker, so... I don't go back over stuff very much. So even if I've seen something two or three times, it was eligible for this list Mm because that's more than most. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sorry, my incense was going crazy over there. Um, Yeah, I poured myself a little drink and lit some incense to like really set the mood. What drink did you make? I made an old fashioned, which has been my drink of choice 
when I'm not just drinking straight whiskey. Fun. But yeah, I even went and bought special cherries for it. So oh, nice. I was very excited about it. Yeah, I went to the like fancy grocery store downtown. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like walked there with my little reusable bag and I was like, I'm so European. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I walked home with all my groceries. So I was thrilled. I got uh, cherries and the best rosemary because I like to garnish my whiskey drinks with rosemary and oranges. I had no oranges to have like an yeah, orange peel. That. Yep. Yeah, so just set the vibey mood. Um, and I guess we can jump in if you're ready. I think I'm ready. Okay, so I'll be going first this week. And my number five comfort media pick was the YouTube channel Wristwatch Revival. Hmm. This is a <laughs> YouTube channel that actually Scott introduced me to a while back. He had been trying to get me to listen to the host Marshall Sutcliffe's um, podcast, which is called Limited Resources. It's a podcast about Magic the Gathering, the card game, Uh. and like strategy and stuff like that. And like, I just play Magic for fun and I don't really care that much about strategy. I just kind of Mm -hmm. figure it out as I go. So that wasn't really up my alley. But as he was like listening to Limited Resources, he started watching the YouTube channel Wristwatch Revival, which is a YouTube channel where Marshall works on old mechanical wristwatches or new too, um, that need servicing. And it's like incredible. Every episode, he like takes apart the entire watch, services it, puts it all back together after cleaning it and like mm-hmm. repairs the casing and like does plating and it's just like a wonderful relaxing thing to watch because he's just got like this very nice voice it's very calming he like voices over everything that he's doing yeah and you can like hear the little clicks of like the screwdriver and i just find it unbelievably relaxing i this is like my go-to if i'm having a hard time falling asleep Mm -hmm. i'll like throw that on the tv And just, like, listen to the lull of, like, this process just playing out. And I have, like, a newfound appreciation for just wristwatches. I'd never really thought much about them before watching this YouTube channel. But they're, like, really fascinating objects that are extremely intricate. And when one part doesn't work, like, the whole thing doesn't work. So it's really cool to watch somebody have all of this knowledge of how to repair these kinds of things and make them work perfectly again, even though they might be 70 years old or a hundred years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just really fascinating. So that's awesome. Yeah. Especially because I have the impression that clock making and like watch making and watch repair is like a dwindling art. Mm -hmm. So like the fact that he's like putting that information out there is really awesome yeah more people can learn about it that's really cool yeah i bet i would really like that yeah i was thinking of you when i like i've been trying to think about where this would fit on the pod best and yeah i've been wanting to talk about it for a couple of weeks but i didn't really have enough content to like do a full episode about it so i was like this Uh is perfect a perfect place to chat about this but it definitely like fits the same vibe as like the fish tank guy yeah. <laughs> you know I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't um, remember what that channel's called ever. Foo the Flower Horn. Yes. Shout out to Foo. <laughs> love that channel. Yeah, that actually leads perfectly into my number five, which is also a YouTube channel that I love because it is process related and it's Food Wishes. <laughs> it's a cooking channel led by Chef John, one of the best YouTube chefs of all time. Fucking love that guy. Chef John, he shows you one recipe per video, and it's just like a tight shot on whatever bowl or plate or, you know, dish he's using, and his hands, and just his voiceover. Mm -hmm. It's like very straightforward. It's all process, and it's food process, which I love, because you know I love watching food get made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Chef John is an amazing host, because... 
his vocal delivery is very unique. It's like kind of sing-songy. And at first, I wasn't sure what to make of it. I was like, why is this guy talking this way? Why? <laughs> what is up with his like his articulation? It's so bizarre. But once you understand that's just how he presents, mm-hmm. then you're like, all right, I fucking love this guy. He's <laughs> awesome. And he does something that I really enjoy that is sets his food videos apart from like the kind of like really rushed videos you might see on like Food Network TV where they skip over like 20 secret cooking fundamentals that you would actually need to know in order Mm -hmm. to make the dish successfully. But Chef John takes the time to tell you about all of those fundamental steps and always make sure you understand like what each step in the process is for and how it relates to the dish overall. And he never skips that background information, which I really love. Yeah, that's really cool. That reminds me of like Samin Nosrat's uh, yeah. book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, because the whole point of that book is to explain why things work the way they work and why we use different techniques the way that we use them, mm-hmm. um, because that actually teaches you why you're doing what you're doing instead of just following a recipe where no one explains what the steps do. So that's really cool. I love that. And I'm sure it teaches you so much more about the cooking process. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's an incredible resource. He's been doing it for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And he has like special holiday recipes that he does. Like he always has a Valentine's day recipe and he just always has like a very um, consistent humor that he uses that's like pun based which is normally my (laughs) least favorite kind of humor but somehow chef john pulls it off so (laughs) yeah i love listening to chef john so yeah the channel is called food wishes and it's highly consistent very very much something you can lock in on Mm -hmm. and not think about your problems (laughs) i love that perfect my number four is kind of a combination i so for some of these i have like grouped like things that are like kind of equal to me together sure for the same place but this is combination of the podcast my brother my brother and me and also the youtube channel monster factory (laughs) wait i have to tell you my number four was also monster oh my gosh (laughs) i love that (laughs) um these are both um Things, shows that are produced by the McElroy brothers. And I began listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me, which I will refer to as a Bim Bam here on out. And I began listening to them in 2018. And that was around the time that I started grad school. And that really was something I like clung to my first year of grad school. It like really helped alleviate a lot of my like first year stress. And so it's something that I have returned to ever since just whenever things feel like very overwhelming with work and things like that, because they've just like been my three friends who Mm -hmm. (laughs) just make me laugh out loud. So I love that. And the Bim Bam was actually the first pod I ever listened to. So they also like got me into podcasting in general. So they're very special for that reason. But overall, the the show Mabim Bam is a comedy podcast where three brothers just kind of goof around and answer listener questions and have like their own little mini podcasts within their podcasts. So like mm-hmm. my favorite is the Haunted Doll Watch where oh, yeah. Justin McElroy uh, looks on eBay for haunted dolls that are being sold and reads their descriptions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is the best inside bit ever. I so love it good. so much. And so I put together just like three episodes that are more recent. If people Mm want to like 
dip their toes in. It's very silly. So you have to like go in understanding that like very little actual content is covered in these podcasts, but it's just Mm -hmm. like a feel good podcast. I really like episode 574, which is called my burger, my burger and me. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I really like one has a really good munch squad. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah. Um, I think the next episode has also has a really good munch squad. It's episode 564, which is called Hanch. And then um, <laughs> episode 563, which is called A Streetcar Named Deez Nuts. <laughs> and uh, that one's so good. <laughs> Iconic. Iconic. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's that's my recommendation of where to start with, like, their modern stuff. Definitely, like, don't start at the beginning. There's, like, 600 episodes. And also, the beginning is you have to be a seasoned listener to enjoy the beginning of this <laughs> podcast. And they will acknowledge that as well. And they frequently do. So, I kind of... Remind me if this is the order or not. But I think I introduced you to Taz, which mm-hmm. got you familiar with the McElroy family. And then... Right. Which is their other podcast. Yeah. And you turned me on to Monster Factory because you got exposed to the McElroy family and got into Monster Factory, right? Right. I okay. do believe that is what happened. And Monster Factory is one of their YouTube... It used to be its own channel. Yeah, because it used to be... Well, it used to be part of Polygon. And oh, right, like, right, Because right. Griffin used to work for Polygon. And yeah, yeah, yeah. then... Eventually, Griffin stopped working for Polygon, but they got to keep, like, the show, if that makes sense. Okay, so the simplest way to put it is it's their YouTube show, Mm -hmm. Monster Factory, correct? Yeah, Yeah, that's what I'd call it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, that's just a really goofy video game character, like, um, what is that called? Avatar Generation? Sure. Like, I would say the premise of Monster Factory is that... Griffin McElroy and Justin McElroy use different character generators in different video games to make perhaps the most outlandish (laughs) and asinine custom characters ever conceived. And then they try to play the game with those custom characters. And it is a very simple premise, but executed (laughs) just fucking to a T. Mm-hmm. It is so funny in practice watching them make the character and do bits about the character and then try to implement the character. It is so it's just perfect. And their their sense of humor playing off of each other, it's like right in my wheelhouse of what I think is very very funny. Yeah. I love their bits and Monster Factory is just a perfect vehicle for their sense of humor. And I find myself revisiting specific Monster Factory videos. Oh, yeah. Because I know they will be hysterical without fail. Mm -hmm. Can I give you my top four? Please do. So my top four Monster Factory... I want to call them franchises because some of them are like a series of Mm -hmm. videos within the Monster Factory channel. I'll start off with number four, Jim Jelly. Jim Jelly, he's (laughs) on my list. Jim Jelly's incredible. That's a standalone episode. Highly recommend it. It's a perfect introduction to Monster Factory. (laughs) Next is the the Fallout series Mm -hmm. of Monster Factory. (laughs) Shout out to Rochi. Love you forever. Ah, rip. R.I.P. Rochi, love you. Um, The top two are almost indistinguishable to me because I find them both so funny. It's it's pure ecstasy. But I'm going to say number two is the Second Life series. Mm -hmm. Incredible stuff. Very, just incredible dancing. Everything about it. (laughs) The dance. Everything about it is so good. The mayor of Second Life, wow, a hero to us all. But <laughs> the best one, in my opinion, of all time is the Spore series. Mm-hmm. Fuck, it is <laughs> incredible. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. And it's you go on such a journey across all of the Spore videos, and you really see 
you see people fall apart and it's beautiful. <laughs> I love the editing in those videos too. The editing. <laughs> the Shrek. The, the Shrek jam. interstitials for each version. Yeah. It's just, it's the best thing I've ever yeah. seen. I can't even explain to you how good that is, but mm-hmm. it is just so fucking good. After I ah. watched the Jam one, I Jam. had to, I had to go listen to the Space Jam thing because it was like jammed oh, in my head, my and God. I was like, I've just got to listen to it. Oh, it's everything. I love it. Yeah, um, two that were on my list that you did not mention that are ones that I come back to frequently are Snack Brath. I All love right. Snack Brath. <laughs> that one is so good. It's oh, like what a freak. They use the. <laughs> They use the WWE, like, wrestling game, Mm -hmm. which will let you, like, import pictures of people and put them onto a person's, like, onto a face. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's perfect. They do one with, like, their father, Clint, and it's, like, at an angle and his hand is in it and it just looks ridiculous. (laughs) They do one with Griffin and Justin. It's perfection. And eventually they land on... Uh, using Zach Braff's face, but choice, choice one. Also, there's one called the physical manifestation of the word meh in Dark Souls 3. That one gets me every time. They're mm-hmm. using like a modded Dark Souls 3 where mm-hmm. they ran all of the text through it. Not they, not like the McElroy brothers, but somebody out there ran all of the text through like different translators like 50 times and then translated it back to English. And so all of my, all of the text is like super messed up and it makes no sense anymore. And it's just high quality content. But yeah, I just adore that series. And that's another one that I'll watch when I'm trying to go to bed, but I'm like sad and I need something to make me laugh before bed. Yeah. And they have one of the best mottos of all time, which is no middle sliders. No middle sliders. Yes. That's advice for life. God, what a gift. What a gift the McElroys have given to us. Um, so that was both our number fours. Oh, yeah. So you can do your number three. Okay, cool. We've been so synergistic so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm getting off the YouTube train, and I am going to talk about my number three pick, which is the combination of X-Files and Fringe, which I've talked about both of these on the pod before. Obviously, I regard them super, super highly. They are like just pillars in my life that I come back to very frequently. And I mean, there's just not much to say. It's just great sci-fi, great Mm -hmm. character chemistry, like Really good romantic chemistry between the leads. Also, just, like, really great chemistry between all the side characters and the leads. Like, choice. Just so good. (laughs) Also, I love the creativity that the writing teams get to have. Just because, like, it's such a big, broad thing that you'll see different episodes that have different styles and they're kind of outside of the norm. And I just think that that's really cool. And you don't get to see that a lot in shows because I think nowadays we value like a very, very consistent energy throughout all of the episodes. But that's just something I love from both X-Files and Fringe. And yeah, it's just a good sci-fi crime drama, which is all I need sometimes. Yeah, and it makes total sense to me that you bundled those two together. Mm-hmm. Those are classics, big time. Yeah, they get they rack up a lot of rewatches in my household, too. Yeah, me and Will especially yeah. are <laughs> big Fringe fans. Very much. Um, so my number three is also a bundle. I decided I'm going to count Emily Henry's first three books as a trilogy. <laughs> just call it the Emily Henry Trilogy. Okay. Um, These are romance books that I don't think you've read yet, Kat. Is that correct? They are on my TBR for my honeymoon. Yeah. So these, this would include Beach Read, The People We Meet on Vacation, and Book Lovers. Mm -hmm. And these specifically, I like to listen to on the audiobook version for two main reasons. One, because 
the woman that reads them, Julia Whalen, is probably the best audiobook narrator of all time. I haven't Ooh. heard all audiobook narrators, but I think she's the best. <laughs> she's fucking phenomenal. She should get an Academy Award for her book reading. She wow. rules. And she really brings the characters to life and makes them uh, very, like, she does very different voices for them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And she just delivers the books in an excellent way. And I guess that dovetails with my second point, which is that I can follow the subtext much more easily in audiobook version versus just words on the page. Mm. And that really helps bring the stories to life for me. I don't know why this seems like particular to romance and like even more particular to Emily Henry's books, but I think it has something to do with the way that I really enjoy the dialogue that she writes between characters. I think she does banter really well Mm -hmm. and it just is much easier for me to, you know, like I said, understand all of the subtext when it's read out by Julia Whalen. And so I like to revisit these books and like listen to them when I'm doing really stressful stuff because Mm -hmm. it's really easy to get sucked into like the emotional arc of the characters because there are characters with actual arcs in the books. Like she actually has full fucking characters Mm -hmm. that are having personal journeys that aren't completely tied to romance. They all have like shit going on that they have to deal with. That doesn't depend on, you know, finding a romantic partner, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think she's probably the best romance writer that I've ever encountered. So, yeah, I really like revisiting these books because I like the characters. I like the arcs. It's emotionally engrossing. And so it's like prime distraction territory. Mm-hmm. And it's just like really easy to root for. And so... It's, like, really easy to, like, go back into those stories and be like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited for this moment to happen again because it's so pleasing. And so you have, like, something to look forward to. And she just, I think Emily Emily Henry is the best. And I highly recommend listening to her books uh, if you have the opportunity. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to these books. She has a new one coming out soon, right? Yeah, I think so. I've been seeing it like on my Audible ads. It's like pre-order this. So maybe I'll pre-order that one with my audiobook credit and listen to that one. Because I already jumped the gun and I bought these books like a year ago, even though I wasn't Mm -hmm. going on my honeymoon for a year. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds so good. Um, My number two is a book and a movie. So... My number two is Jurassic Park, uh, which originally a novel by Michael Crichton, but was adapted into a film. This is, I mean, if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, you definitely should. It is a classic. <laughs> it has dinos. It has romance. It has stupid rich white men with no considerations for the consequences of their actions. And it has Jeff Goldblum. So <laughs> listen, this is my sales pitch. You should go watch it. It also has special effects that I think have aged very well. Just like those fucking dinos are very believable dinos. And I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Yeah. So this was like the movie that I put on to cope with like very, very high anxiety days in college and grad school. So I distinctly remember having it on in the background while I studied for tests because it was engaging enough that it was just distracting me from my anxiety as I like went through flashcards that I'd already gone through a million zillion times and knew (laughs) everything. But yeah, this is like one of my personal favorite films. It's definitely high on the list of like my top five films. So 10 out of 10, highly recommend, especially for a comfort film. Mm-hmm. Awesome. My number two is also a film. It is the 2017 film Phantom Thread, <laughs> directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> starring Daniel Day-Lewis and Vicky <laughs> Kreps. 
Um, I just mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago, Kat, that <laughs> I tried watching Chernobyl and found it so emotionally distressing because it was based on fact mm-hmm. that I had to recover afterwards by watching some Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. And that's like the prime example of why Phantom Thread is near the top of my list because it's like my current piece of mm-hmm. comfort media. Again, this is kind of my like top three picks are similar in that they all are like really emotionally impactful and emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. And distraction to me is being like emotionally tied into something. Mm-hmm. And so to provide that amount of like emotional engagement, I go for stuff like this that has like a really salient um, social dynamic, I suppose. Mm-hmm. This is like PTA's most romantic film by far. It's almost exclusively about a romance between those two characters, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Reynolds, and Vicky Krebs's character, Alma. And you're kind of like watching the power dynamics within the relationship shift and transform over some number of years. Mm-hmm. And you are understanding their power dynamic in uh, increasing levels of detail. And there's something extremely engrossing about it because those two give such indelible performances. But there's also a very deliberate pacing to the film mm-hmm. where you're never overwhelmed with uh, with information at any one time you're like chewing on the information mm-hmm. that you're being given throughout the film about these characters and i like that very deliberate pacing mm-hmm. and i just never get tired of watching them play off of each other and mm-hmm. watching the subtlety of those performances and discovering new layers to that nuance with each rewatch. And mm. so that's why I find myself returning to Phantom Thread so often. <laughs> and I I highly recommend it. Nice. It's good stuff. Yeah, you've been bringing that one up. <laughs> it's Pretty always frequent. on my mind. <laughs> All right. It is number one time. Mm-hmm. My number one pick is... Stardew Valley, oh. which I talked about in the first episode of this mm-hmm. podcast. That was my first piece of media that I covered. And this is a independently made video game by the creator Concerned Ape. It is extremely popular. And I think that this is literally a perfect game. It is just the perfect amount of engaging The basic premise of this game is that you are a character who has just quit their corporate office job because you're burnt out and you hate capitalism, so on and so (laughs) forth, and you move to your grandfather's farm that you inherited when he passed. And it's basically like overgrown. Your first day, you're just like chopping up rocks and cutting down weeds and getting your farm ready. It's <laughs> Chopping perfect. up rocks. Chopping up rocks. Um, and I think some of my playthroughs of this game have been like over 100 hours, like Whoa. 130 hours spent on one farm. Whoa. And I still haven't exhausted all of the content that exists that Concerned Ape has like built into the game. He has been very diligent about updating the game over time. So every time I take like a long hiatus, there's always like more to explore, a new place to like gain access to. And I love that. I think it fits, it like integrates so seamlessly. So I just think that's really cool and shows that there's a lot of dedication from the creator. And he has like a lot of dedication to his fans and has just like created this really amazing community of people who just love what he's made. And I just love that. It's very wholesome. And yeah, every time I feel like things are out of control or like, I don't know, just like really, really overwhelmed. This is something that I go to because it's like so engaging and you're just like building this 
your own little world and making all these little decisions and giving gifts to everyone in the town. And it just like absorbs me completely. And I think that it's just such a wonderful distraction. So it's very effective at calming my anxieties. (laughs) Yeah, I think when we talked about it in our very first episode, we talked about how it like hits that sweet spot of engagement where Mm -hmm. you're like actively kind of like strategizing and keeping track of time and information Mm -hmm. in the game and it's not a stressful amount of information but it's enough that you're not thinking about you know what's actually making you stress out in real life yeah oh one thing that I did want to mention too is another game that I found that kind of scratches the same itch but isn't quite as good as uh, Stardew Valley is the game Spiritfarer. I really enjoyed my playthrough of this. You're basically um, completing quests for spirits that you are ferrying across the river Styx right. um, to the afterlife. And it's just like a very meaningful game. You get very attached to the characters in it. I cried while I played this game, but it has the same like cozy, beautiful aesthetic as Stardew Valley. Uh, perhaps even like more beautiful just because like the design of the game is so striking but i highly recommend playing through spirit fairer if you're like into cozy games at all just because it scratches that same itch and it was like so emotionally impactful for me yeah i remember you mentioning that one before as well yeah i think it was on like my spooky picks because it was Uh, about ghosts (laughs) kind of i see i think i had it in my honorable mentions for like Halloween. Cool. Uh, my number one pick is the series Fleabag. Ah, so, I was hoping you would talk about Fleabag. Yeah. Like I was saying before, a lot of my picks are centered on things that I find really emotionally engaging. So this is the original series uh, created by and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And it's just two seasons long, and the episodes are very quick, and there's not a ton of eps per season, so you could knock it out in one day if you really wanted to. It's a quick watch, but what makes it a comfort media to me is that it is completely emotionally engrossing, Mm -hmm. and I'm completely swept up in following Fleabag and watching what she's doing and uh, like empathizing with her situations and her goals and wanting what's best for her and her sister Claire and basically everyone involved. And I just find it incredibly emotionally engaging and that engagement is sustained with every rewatch so far, Mm -hmm. which is kind of rare for me things usually kind of drop off in terms of how impactful they are with each rewatch for me, but Fleabag always delivers, mm-hmm. I find. And it delivers in a lot of different ways. It's, um, you know, it's a very funny show. There's a lot of comedy in it, but there's also, you know, a lot of darker topics as well. A lot of it is exploring grief and mm-hmm. loss and coming to terms with, you know, things like millennial ennui and not liking yourself and wanting to change and wanting direction and purpose. And so there's a lot to dig into and all of those different topics are so deftly interwoven into like really sparse narrative that every time I'm just like so astounded by the direction and how much emotional territory is being covered with such, like, impactful, but like I said, like, deft and sparse material. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so concise, but every scene packs a punch. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so well done. And once I start watching it, like, I can't stop. Like, I have to see how everything resolves, even though I've seen it many times before. I don't even know how many times I've rewatched it now, but the momentum of each episode, you're just like plowing forward because even though you know what's coming, you have to watch it play out again because Mm -hmm. the emotional payoff is just so good. And the performances are excellent. 
the direction is impeccable, and it just has such a variety of ideas and emotions that Mm -hmm. it really sates uh, what I'm looking for in a series and in a in a distracting, comforting experience. And I think that's why I return to it so often. Oh, God, what a good show. Yeah, it has some of my favorite discussions about grief mm-hmm. from any media that I've seen. And it puts a lot of it into words in a way that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. That I hadn't, it's like a, a construction and an expression that it makes complete sense. But until Phoebe Waller-Bridge says it out loud, I'd never even knew how to think about it. So, mm-hmm. like, she, she puts language to things that I felt for a long time but didn't know how to think about until I watched that show, mm-hmm. which is so valuable. Yeah. And, I mean, that's fucking art, baby. That's <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. What a good number one. That's an awesome number one. Thank I you. that. <laughs> do you have any honorable mentions? I have several. I'll do... It's, I can cluster them together. So... Two other YouTube channels that I do for this. Um, one of them is Primitive Technology. That's the guy that he is like out in the woods and makes like huts and bricks and fires and stuff. And it's like a really, another really good calming process oriented channel. So big fan of Primitive Technology. There's no speaking. It's amazing. Um, Also, Good Mythical Morning. I've Mm -hmm. talked about this on here before and how when I'm in extreme distress, I find myself watching that YouTube channel a lot just because it is offers a lot of levity and friendship and just like no stakes entertainment. So Mm -hmm. those are two YouTube channels I go to a lot in troubled times. Um, A couple series that are extremely rewatchable and... Of good mood lifters for me are Ted Lasso and Our Flag Means Death. Mm-hmm. But I've talked about them so much already. I decided they would just be HMs for this list. But, you know, love those characters. Those always put me in a good mood. And the same goes for Taskmaster because mm-hmm. I love to revisit that. It's very funny. It's very low stakes. And I just love hanging out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've definitely got some overlap here. I kind of grouped a couple of things all under like a recency bias category. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have been coming back to them a lot recently, but I'm not sure if they will like stay on my like comfort media list. So I kind of grouped them in an honorable mentions category that consists of Ted Lasso, Ninth House, and Hellbent and Taskmaster, and Our Flag Needs Death. So (laughs) just like lots of media that we've already covered on this podcast, Mm -hmm. but media that's really stuck out to me and something that I find just like really enjoyable to revisit lately. I've been one, I've been rewatching Ted Lasso with Scott, and we've been really enjoying that. But also I've been having like a couple of really stressful weeks. So I've been like, just going back to like season one, episode three, Trent from the independent and like mm-hmm. just watching from there. And so Ted Lasso season one, especially has been something I've been coming back to a lot. And then I also kind of have this other category of things that I haven't been coming back to recently, but are things that I tend to come back to. So new girl is a television show that I watched a lot when I was in college and I got back into it a lot when I was planning the wedding because that was like absolutely just like so stressful and I needed something on in the background while I was just doing all of the shit that goes into planning a wedding. So like addressing invitations and making spreadsheets and everything like that. So I watched a lot of New Girl. And then um, also on this list is Bob's Burgers, which I haven't talked about my love for on this podcast yet. But No, I don't think so. I really love Bob's Burgers. I find it just like absolutely a joy to watch. And it's just the best adult cartoon I have ever seen. I hold it in very high esteem. And then, as I mentioned earlier, just like Harry Potter is something that I come back to a lot, but it's such well-trodden territory that I didn't want to, like, focus in on that quite 
for this pod. But yeah, so much good media out there. And it just made me like really excited to talk about it. Did you watch any of your comfort media in preparation for the pod? Good question. I did not. I just went right off the cuff. I was (laughs) like, bam, bam, bam. These are the ones. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.